Okay, so I, I mentioned to you the last time that I shared that uh, we're going to go through uh, the passages concerning the Lord's Prayer, um, specifically in Matthew as well as in Luke. And last week we looked, last time we were together, we looked at Matthew chapter 6 and the Sermon on the Mount, and we're going to go back there today. And today we're specifically going to look at Matthew's version of the Lord's Prayer and try to learn some things from that. Why, why are we doing this? We're, well, I think we're doing this because, as I mentioned the last time we spoke, we, we don't really teach people how to pray. Do you know what I'm saying? When, even when they come to Christ, we just tell them to pray. We just assume that by osmosis, they're just going to pick it up from other people. And in a way, that's what happens. They watch and listen to others how they pray. And so <clears throat> they pray that way is what they've observed. And especially if, you know, if I remember being in a church where the King James was the key text. And so people would often pray using King James language. And so you would assume that that's the way that you're supposed to pray is with King James language. Others pick up certain lingo from their denominations that they are in, and so they pray like that. And, but a lot of times, the way we pray and how we pray uh, are not necessarily reflective of the Scripture. So, for instance, you'll often hear people say, oh, you know what, I pray that you'll be with me. Well, to be honest with you, you don't need to pray that. Because the scripture says he's always with you. Uh, the Holy Spirit indwells you. God is always with you. He's always going to be with you. Even David says, where can I go that you're not there? So we say, well, Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He felt abandoned at that point. Well, there was something in that triune relationship that was affected by the, by the crucifixion when he died on the cross because he became our sin. That's a little bit different than you and I as believers. God is always with us. So what we want to do, though, is instead of just reflecting back on what we picked up by observing others or what we've created as traditions or uh, habits of prayer over our own lifespan, we want to look and see what Jesus says. And in particular, last week we saw that he said when we pray, we don't have to spend all our time asking because he already knows what we have need of. Well, today we're going to look at the Lord's Prayer, and he is going to show us five things that we can pray for but a lot of times we don't pray for. But five things. But before that, we're also going to see in the Lord's Prayer about having a perspective in prayer. Okay? Uh, some folks say these are the eight petitions. They say all of these are petitions. Uh, however you want to divide it up. I, I look at it as three thoughts on perspective that Jesus gives us when we pray and five things for us to pray about from Matthew's prayer. So let me let me read it to you. It is found in Matthew chapter 6. If you're using a pew Bible, that's page 511. But Matthew 6, we're going to look at verse 9 through 13. 
This is Jesus speaking. He says, In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, what has happened through the centuries, because he says you are to pray this way, some have made this the prayer that you pray. So some people will pray the Lord's Prayer. I pray the Lord's Prayer. But you need to realize that uh, the Lord's Prayer is not something that you just do ritually, because if you do it ritually, the meaning of what he's trying to teach us here is lost. It becomes an empty exercise. So it just becomes one more thing that we do trying to manipulate God with our prayers. Luke tells us, and we'll see later, that the reason for giving us the Lord's Prayer is because the disciples said to him, look, teach us to pray, because they obviously saw how Jesus prayed and the intimacy of the relationship that he had with God. So, of course, that's a natural question. God, Jesus, teach us to pray. So he says, when you pray, pray this way. And so verse 9 and 10, we're going to see that perspective of how we should be in prayer. In verse 11 through 13, we're going to then see five things that we can pray about. So let's talk about the proper perspective. First of all, he starts off, verse 9, in this manner, therefore, pray. Okay, very first line, our Father in heaven. So the first thing you need to recognize is, is that there is an intimacy between you and God. There is an intimacy between you and God. Now, I'm just going to be very honest with you. This is what I think separates Christianity, the Christian faith, from all the other faiths of the world. From all the other religious views of the world. And that is, we believe that when you experience salvation, when you come to him by faith, you enter into a relationship with him whereby you are adopted as his child. You become a child of God. You become a son or a daughter of God. And that intimacy is there. And you can go to him and address him by a very personal name. Did you understand what I'm saying? I mean, we're not addressing him as Elohim. We're not addressing him as Yahweh, even though those are names that reveal who he is. He's telling us that when we pray, we're to go to him and pray to him saying, Our Father. Father is an intimate name. Did, did you understand what I'm saying? So, like, in my life, in your life, you only have one daddy. Did you understand what I'm saying? One one parental figure in your life. And that that's an intimate thing, to call somebody daddy. In fact, that's what Paul says later. We can go to him and say to him, Abba, Father. And the word Abba is the Greek word meaning, it's an intimate word meaning, daddy. I can go to him 
and recognize that right off the bat, I'm not just going to a higher power and hoping that he'll hear me and give me his attention. I'm going to him right off the bat and I'm acknowledging my relationship with him. That there is a level, there is a level of intimacy that already exists between us because of Jesus. So I need to recognize that. Now, that's followed up by the next statement, hallowed be your name. Now, that term hallowed, that comes from the King James, comes all the way back from the time of the, of, of, in the 1600s, 1700s, when it was written, translated. It means holy. Holy is your name. So here's the second perspective that you need to have when you go to prayer. Yes, there's this level of intimacy. But you must also show respect. God's not your buddy. Even though it says that Jesus is a friend who sticks closer than a brother, God is not your buddy. He's not Bubba. Do you understand what I'm saying? You don't, and I think that sometimes we lose that. You know, I, you know, I've been a believer long enough to know that as you, you know, as a believer over 30 years, I've seen different fads come and go. And the longer you are a believer, you see that. And so, you know, and there's an extreme where, you know, he's like so awesome that you have to dress up to, like you wouldn't dress up for any other way than, if you want to go see the president, you know, and, and that's one extreme. To the other extreme is he's your friend, he's your buddy, he will just love you and everything. And, and what's missing from, I think, both of those is a, a respect aspect of the holiness of God. That when you come into his presence, you're there. Yeah, there's intimacy there, but he is so holy and it just exposes who you are. In the reality of it, you can't pretend in front of him. Because, I mean, Scripture talks over and over about every mouth being stopped, being hushed, every knee bowing in humility and acknowledging the Lordship of Christ. So you have to show respect. So, okay, so we see there's an intimacy between you and God. Two, you must also show respect. The third thing we see in verse 10 your kingdom come, your will be done. Now this is the most difficult thing for you and I. Because what we're talking about here is the issue of control when we pray. Usually when we pray, we want to set the agenda. We know what we want God to do. And we have it in our mind what needs to happen. We just need his stamp of approval. We just need him to act. We just need him to go along with our plan. Well, the problem is that's not the way it works. And when Jesus said that you and I pray, he's saying that there needs to be an issue of submission. And so what we see in verse 10 is a, an issue of submission. In fact, it was reflected by what Jesus said. You know, Father, if this, if this cup could pass from me, let it pass, but nevertheless, not my will, but what? Your will be done. 
It's not what I want, Jesus said. It's what your will is, God. So here's what I want you to see. You must submit yourself to God's will. You must submit yourself to God's will. I, you know, I, I think it's interesting. I, I'm an observer of my own life sometimes, and I think back to many times when I sense what God wants me to do I have to admit that a lot of times what he wants me to do, I don't want to do. I would rather avoid it. Do you know what I'm saying? I would rather not do it. I want my, I want to live comfortably. I want to live, um, but the reality is, is that it's not about what I want. And that's, I think when we talk about praying, especially we're in the midst of a crisis, we have to recognize that it's not about what we want. It's about what God wants for the world. It's about his plans, his thoughts. It's about what he wants to accomplish in the world. And we, everything is moving to the ultimate climax of history, and that is the return of Jesus. And everything fits into it. Your life fits into that plan. You say, I don't know how it does. Well, you don't need to know how it does. One day you'll know how it fits into that plan. But you and I fit into the plan of God somehow, and it's not about what we want, it's about what he wants. And so you must submit yourself to God's will. So that's what he's talking about here. So we see those three things in that prayer. In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, how would be your name? Your kingdom come, your will be done. There's this intimacy between you and God, you must show respect, and you must submit yourself to God's will. Now we come to verses 11 through 13, although the last part of verse 13 is kind of a, like a doxology, but we won't focus on that. But let's focus on what verses 11 through 13 say. So let me read those again. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So here's five things. Okay? Prayer requests that he would like, he's telling us when we pray, these are things that we can go to God and talk to him about. The first one is to ask him about your daily needs. When we talk about where it says that give us this day our daily bread, it's really talking about your daily bread is what you would eat that day. So he's talking about going to him and asking him to give you what you need for that day. Do you know what I'm saying? We like to think ahead. We like to plan ahead. We even like to pray ahead, and there's nothing wrong with that. But he's saying focus on where you are right now and pray about where you are right now and what your needs are right now. I think if we do that, that helps deal with several things. Why? Because if you're a worrier, what are you worried about? You're not necessarily worried about what's happening today, but you're worried about what might be coming down the road. And he's saying, don't, don't, don't get all focused there. Focus on what do you need right now. Ask him right now to give you your daily needs. And here it talks about bread, so you're talking about provision. 
It could be strength. It could be wisdom. There are other passages of Scripture to talk to you about what you can seek from God. James chapter 1. If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask. Strength. You can ask God for strength. Provision. Of course, that's what we see reflected here. So you go to him and you talk to him about what your needs are right now. Here's the second one. It says this in verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Okay, so a couple things I want you to see here. Forgive us our debts. What are our debts? Well, they're your obligations. So ask him to deal with your outstanding obligations. Is that talking about me owing money to somebody? Yeah, well, that could be included in that. But actually, there could be a whole lot more involved here than just you owing somebody money. Maybe you made a vow to somebody that you would do something, and you're indebted to that person for a promise, and you need to fulfill it. Maybe, maybe you're indebted to somebody for some other thing. It's whatever obligation that you have placed yourself under with other people. And so you're going to God and asking him to help you to deal with your outstanding obligations. And I'll be honest with you, the longer you live, the more you realize how many obligations you've committed. And to be honest with you, if you really think about it, you begin to realize how many you haven't fulfilled, that you have ignored or forgotten. And so you're going to him and saying, you know, Lord, forgive us our debts. Help us to, to deal with the things that we owe somebody for. Help us to deal with that. So you're really seeking forgiveness in your life for the indebtedness that you have incurred to yourself, not just financially, but these outstanding obligations. So we ask him to deal with our outstanding obligations. Third one, you ask him to help you to forgive others. Because I'm going to be honest with you, the longer you live, you're not just indebted to other people and have all these obligations that you need to fulfill. People become indebted to you. Sometimes it's a hurt. Sometimes it's a promise that wasn't kept. Sometimes it could be even materially that somebody was supposed to do something for you and they didn't do it. Now, I think it's interesting. He's asking you here to go to God and talk with him about that. Why? Because I'm going to be honest with you. In and of yourself you are going to find it very difficult to forgive other people. You're just going to struggle. The wounds are fresh. The wound, the memories are long. The scars are deep. And he tells you to forgive. In fact, we're going to see that the next time we gather uh, and look at this passage. It's actually included in this passage. So forgiveness has a lot to do with prayer. When you look at verse 14 and 15, a little bit later, that's what we'll focus on the next time we look at this study. Forgiveness has a lot to do with you praying and your ability to pray 
your ability to go and forgive others affects your prayers. And so here, you're asking God to help you to forgive. Now, I was just I was getting ready for Sunday school, and I was looking at Joseph and, uh, of course, his reconciliation with his brothers in chapter 50. And I think it's interesting. They go to him, and they're begging for mercy from him because they think he's going to have vengeance on them because now Jacob is dead. And, you know, he addresses the issue, and he tells them, it's going to be okay. I'll take care of you. Your evil deeds, you meant them for evil, but God did them. God used your evil deeds to save everybody. And I thought about that, and I thought, you know, it's interesting. He didn't excuse away what they said. He didn't excuse away what they did. We often think forgiveness is excusing away what somebody else did. Joseph doesn't do that. Joseph says, you know, you did this, you were wrong, what you did was evil, but God took what you did and made something out of it. God took what you did and made something out of it. And he doesn't absolve them from what they're doing, but he places himself into the perspective of God being in control. And I think that's what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is not forgetting what somebody did, absolving them from what they've done. It's basically putting everything in the perspective that God is the one who's in control. And But you need God to help you to do that because that's not human. I'll be honest with you, the ability to forgive someone who's done something to you is not human. And so you, you ask him to help you to forgive others. I think that has to be a key part of our daily life of prayer. Why? Because daily somebody's going to do something to you that hurts you. Isn't that right? Somebody's going to do something, and sometimes they do stuff to you and they don't even know they did it. They're completely ignorant of it. And the fact of the matter is, is you need help to forgive them. Here's the next one. Ask him to help you in the face of temptation. And lead us not into temptation. So here's what he's saying. He's not even saying, God, help me to stand in the face of temptation. Jesus isn't even saying that. Jesus is saying, you pray and you ask God, don't lead me into temptation. Lord, you keep me away from temptation because I'm weak. I'm human. I'm frail. I'm sinful. Don't even let me go there. Because in and of myself, I can't handle it. The problem is, is what I think I see sometimes, and I see this sometimes even among ministers, is that we think we get to a place where we can handle stuff. But actually, that's pride. And when you enter into it, before you know it, you're falling. You get tripped up by the very by the very thing that you think you can handle. And the fact of the matter is, when you go to prayer and you say to him, help me to face temptation, don't lead me into temptation, you are basically acknowledging to God, I am a sinful person who will sin. And I need you to help me. Because I can't do it without you. 
I can't do it without you. So you're basically... Well, I'm going to save this thought. I have a thought here. I'll save it to the end when I look at this next point here. Let me let me go to the next point. Now I'll give you what my thought is. Ask him to protect you from Satan. Notice what he says. And deliver us from the evil one. God, you've got to rescue me out of the the attacks of the enemy because they are relentless. Now, okay, here's the thoughts that have just occurred to me. When you look at every one of these verses, verse 9 through verse 10, the perspective in praying, verse 11 through 13 in our requests, the key thing that strikes me about everything here is when I pray, it requires that I be humble and that there needs to be an absence of my pride. I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about. I'll, I'll, let me go through it and I'll show you what I'm talking about. Okay? <clears throat> Our Father in heaven. First of all, that intimacy. That's expressing an absence of pride there in humility. Why? Because you are placing yourself in the relationship under who? The Father. You are approaching him as he is, even though there's an intimacy there, he is superior to you in that relationship. He's the head in that relationship. Okay? Hallowed be your name. Again, Absence of pride. Recognizing you are holy, God, I'm not. There has to be an absence of pride there. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What's going on there? Again, absence of pride. Putting God's will before your own. Putting God's will before your own. Let's look at the request. Give us this day our daily bread. My. That's, I can tell you right there, there is no self-sufficiency in that verse. That is asking God to take care of you, not saying, hey, help me to take care of myself. Did you understand what I'm saying? It's asking God to give you what you need because you recognize you can't take care of yourself. Isn't it interesting? We think we can until something shows up in the mailbox. You know what I'm saying? Or something's wrong with the engine or something like that. And we realize, I can't handle this. I can't do this. All right, look at the next one. Forgive us our debts. We get ourselves in situations that we can't handle our obligations and we're asking God to get us out of them. Again, the absence of pride. You have to suck up your pride and express humility and go to him and say to him, God, I need you to help me to fulfill my obligations. We shouldn't have, shouldn't have gotten myself in this. You're the one who told me not to do this. And there are many places in Scripture where he talks about not getting yourself an obligation to others. Forgiving our debts, our debtors. My pride won't let me ask for help because I think I can do it myself when you know you can't. There has to be humility there. Lead us not in temptation. 
I already expressed that. Pride says I can handle it, but you can't. Deliver us from the enemy. Pride says I can stand against him. No, you can't. Not in your own self. You can in Christ. You can in Jesus. But the moment you try to stand against the enemy in your own strength, I'm going to tell you right now, he'll kick you down every time. Every time. You lose. In fact, he wants you to think that you can handle him. You can't. He's smarter. He knows everything about you. You need God's help. So, okay, where are we at with this? Well, prayer really is, the prayer that Jesus is giving us here, is really a prayer of dependence. Not independence. It's a prayer where I go and I place myself under the loving care of the Heavenly Father. Because I recognize that in and of myself, I can't do it. I really can't do it. And so, we need to ask God to help us to pray the way he wants us to pray. I think. It's not going to happen overnight. But I think as we allow the scripture to guide us, you'll be surprised because if you pray the way that Jesus is telling you to pray here, I'll be honest with you, you'll become less prideful and more humble because you recognize you need him in all of these areas. So let me, let me pray for you guys and for myself. Father, I am amazed at the prayer that Jesus gave us so long ago. It truly is a prayer of humility. And, and to be honest with you, you cannot be prideful and pray this prayer. Pride wants to lift self up. Pride wants to believe that self can take care of itself and self can handle every situation, this prayer reflects that we need someone else to help us. Because we need somebody else to provide for our daily needs. We need somebody else to help us with the obligations that are outstanding. We need somebody else to help us to forgive others. Or we need somebody else to keep us away from temptation because we so easily fall into it and we need somebody else to deliver us from the evil one. Help us to take to heart these words and to allow them to be used of the Spirit to guide us into a deeper relationship with you. I pray this for myself and for each one here, in Jesus' name, amen.